I think we, as a body of believers, committed to immersing ourselves in the Word of God, seeking to do what God calls us to do, I think we are in a very, very unique and wonderful position to demonstrate to the world around us what God's plan is. We've got the instructions right here from God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Welcome to Life in Christ, a podcast of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. My name is Brent Nelson. Today, we're raising some of the questions that flow out of a biblical exploration of how humans are to relate to one another. Many will turn to the Old Testament and they will say, isn't it important that persons marry inside their own ethnicity? Doesn't God lift that up and say, you must marry inside your own ethnicity? That's actually a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. You took us in the conversation at this point to good, solid biblical examples of interracial marriage that were blessed by God. Maybe maybe pick it up there for us. Sometimes people, when we talk about interracial marrying, will say, but God told the Israelites, destroy those people, have nothing to do with them. That was when he was bringing people out of Exodus and he didn't want them to, and he didn't want them to defile themselves with foreign gods that would have caused problems. However, before they went to Egypt, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Yes. He was sent off to Egypt and, and God used him there and God orchestrated so that Joseph rose to the top of the kingdom. And at that time, Joseph took an Egyptian wife. It says in Genesis, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Azanoth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the first one Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, Joseph was of Semitic origin. He's a descendant of Abraham. His wife, Azanoth, was an Egyptian from North Africa. And yet God brought them together so that these two children that they bore together could become forefathers of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, two of the largest of the 12 tribes of Israel, as we see in the book of Genesis. God blessed their marriage. Absolutely. What's another example of interracial marriage that God is blessing in the Bible? Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And there's kind of a negative example here of how God proves, God shows himself to approving this marriage. And it says in Numbers, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. They won't even use her name. No, no. (laughs) They don't like her. Yeah. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. One thing that never can be escaped, the Lord heard it. Right. He did. The Hebrew word that's translated Cushite refers to people from the region of Africa that is now Ethiopia and Sudan. That same Hebrew word in Jeremiah says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? So there's obviously a a difference between this man Moses, how he looks, and this woman that he marries, the Cushite. Miriam and Aaron are criticizing Moses because of that marriage. They add to it this whole concept about, well, why is he so important? My words, not probably a poor translation. No, but, that, that's, but that's a good they're, summary. They're pointing out that he married this African woman with much darker skin. They're not approving of that. And why is he so important? Right. God responded, and he responded harshly. 
It says in the word, And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. So he's speaking to the integrity of, of Moses standing before him. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So God kind of answers their trivial who's better question, but there's a bigger bigger thing going on here. It goes on to say, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Right there, God executed punishment on Miriam. Some would say, but why not Aaron? But there's a reason for that. First off, tucked between that passage, it says that Moses was a very meek man and probably wouldn't have stood up well for himself in that situation. That's right. But he didn't, God didn't let the criticism of that interracial marriage go unaddressed, even though Moses didn't seem willing to address it. God says that Miriam is the one that would bear the responsibility for that. And that's because God was not arbitrarily punishing or picking on Miriam. Miriam was the principal player in this narrative. At the beginning of the account in verse 1, the ESV says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. In the original Hebrew, the feminine singular verb initiates the chapter. So literally it says, and she spoke. Aaron's there as her brother, standing alongside of her. But Miriam says, why did you marry this Cushite woman? Well, and of course, we can't overlook the fact that God's punishment of Miriam was just in that she despised the skin of her sister-in-law. Yeah. And her skin becomes leprous. Interesting the response there, isn't it? God is just. Other examples, you could turn to uh, certainly jo- uh, Joseph, certainly Moses, but there's these are not one-off, or these are not rare. There's others, even in the lineage of Jesus, as recorded in the Bible, Rahab, who was a Canaanite. Another one, Ruth, who was a Moabite. Yes. They're both listed in the in the genealogies of Jesus. You have a sentence. Let me read this. It's it's so powerful. God, God speaks very clearly. You shall not intermarry with them. This is Deuteronomy 7. With them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. So you put that forward so helpfully as an answer to the question, why God does not permit interreligious marriage. Right. Yeah, which is misinterpreted as interracial. That's right. By people that want to interpret it that way. But this is because God is saying he's a jealous God. He wants his people to be his people, and he doesn't want to share the glory he deserves with any other God. He won't do that. So when Boaz married Ruth, he was not violating the will of God in the word of God. Correct. That's amazing because Boaz was an Israelite and Ruth was a Moabite. But Ruth was a believer. She came in bold confidence along with her mother-in-law Naomi to become a follower of Yahweh, a believer in God, and therefore able to fully and happily marry Boaz, a man of great covenantal faithfulness. Yeah. There's a tradition, probably not one we can delve deeply into in today's conversation, but it's worth mentioning. There's a tradition that looks to justify the 
chattel slavery movement of African Americans in the history of this culture. And it's often a twisting of the Bible to sort of give basis or justification. It's a kind of unholy proof texting, which gives the appearance of justification for uh, a curse to be leveled on African Americans specifically. It's known as the curse of Ham. But you dismantled it quite handily in the class on Sunday, and I wonder if you do that for us now. Over the years, unfortunately, and, and to the disgrace of those that preach the Word of God, mm-hmm. some have said that the account after the flood of Noah, Noah turned to wine. He was inebriated. He was drunk, and he was apparently naked. And his son went in and saw him in that state, went out, and as the Scripture records, using my words, not Scripture, made fun of it, made light of it. His brother said no, and they walked in a very dignified manner, backed into him, covered him up, and left and said, that's the way it is. Anyway, Noah, as a, in response to that, he specifically cursed, if you will, mm-hmm. Canaan, mm-hmm. one of Ham's sons. Ham had four sons, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Canaan was cursed, the Bible tells us. Ham was not cursed. So the people that have misused this scripture to advance the concepts of slavery said that the curse of Ham was that Ham's descendants would be dark-skinned and be perpetually enslaved and put to task. But in fact, the Canaanites were a Canaan's offspring, the Canaanites were abundantly wicked, and they proved that the curse was warranted. However, Ham was not necessarily dark-skinned. Canaan had uniquely evil, which defiled the land and brought the judgment of the Lord on it. Many mistakes are made by that position, one of which is the reading of Scripture and the misunderstanding of who, in fact, was cursed. That's a mistake. Mm -hmm. Another mistake is just because a person has a certain color of skin does not mean that they're under God's condemnation or curse. Not at all. Uh, There is no correlation between the favor of God and skin color. We've already made it plain that God puts his, his image on all human beings. And in fact, we could say because he chose to create so many different uh, shades of, of pigmentation in human beings that he's more glorified by a, a variety of pigments than he is by one singular one. So therefore, no person can take any sort of special favor upon their pigmentation. That's just simply irrational. Sadly, I think that in my limited understanding, sadly, I think that sometimes as humans, we reach for things to justify what we're that's doing. exactly right. And it's a grievous error to reach into the Word of God and misapply it to make what I'm doing seem right. It's horrible. It's and a that, horrible that, That's what we see here in the curse we of just, Ham. I, I just want to be careful in everything I'm doing against that in my own thinking. Yeah. I want to be especially diligent. And, and I'm thankful for you and the other elders and the, and the faith family here at the landing to, to engage in that. Well, how does Jesus address the question of different ethnicities? Where do we see, what are some examples in Jesus' teaching where ethnicity comes up? Well, we saw it, we talked about it last time about the, the parable that he told of the rich young ruler, mm-hmm. which trampled on the social norms of the day, where the uh, Samaritan cared for the man who was injured and the Levite, the priest, did not. That's one. Jesus also talked to a Samaritan woman. Sure. He met her at the well. And her first, one of her first comments to Jesus was, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's saying, why are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. 
why are you talking to me? Jews have no um, dealing with Samaritans. But the clear implication was that the historical fact was that barriers based on racial differences existed at the time, and Jesus was saying they don't they don't matter. They aren't accurate. They aren't true. They aren't aren't what we want it to be. Well, he. And in that John 4 passage, he so often moves right past every barrier that the woman at the well puts up in order to win her as a worshiper, Yeah. in order to say, it's not on this mountain or that mountain, it's not by Jew or Samaritan background, it's it's worshipers who worship God in spirit and truth. That's who the Father's seeking. The spiritual commonality, yeah. You allude to several other passages, of course. One famous one is Galatians 3.28, for there is neither Jew nor Greek for we are all one in Christ. That's very clear. The very mandate that we have to go make disciples is to make disciples, not just of those who eat like us, look like us, talk like us, but to make disciples of all nations. All nations. So there's a missionary impulse, isn't there, that runs directly counter to racial or ethnic prejudice. Yeah. Those, those people, whoever those people are, God created in his image for his purposes that he's telling those of us who are listening to him, he's telling us, go and share the gospel. They're my people. They're created in my image. They're dear and precious to me. Go and share the gospel. There's there's some that, that need to hear right now. Yeah, and and it it gets even familial. It gets even sweet, and, and you, you bring in the sweet doctrines of election, and you realize that God has, uh, out of all the world that he loves and has lavished his common grace upon, there is his bride, there's his his adopted ones, his beloved ones, who need to be called out of darkness into light by their siblings, sending us to go get our siblings in the Lord who might have another background, but I can't wait to introduce you to me and to him and, and him to you and me to you. There's a family reunion waiting to happen with those who do not yet know who their father is in Jesus Christ, nor do they know me and you as their brothers and sisters. So there's a glory there that's unfathomable, un, unexhaustible. I think of the how many of us, if we thought or knew, and now I'm talking only about a, a biological sense here, in the here and now, if I thought I had a sibling who I had never met, who I... I just was made aware of that they lived a thousand miles away. How many of us would not go immediately to find that sibling to say, you know, I, I don't know if he or she will accept me or want to be around me, right? But he or she is my brother or sister. Let's and go I, on a quest. Yeah, let's let, find them. Let's go check them out. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let them know who I am. Let them know who, what God has done in my life, and and maybe they'd be the sweetest people, sweetest person that I've ever met. We have had the conversation, and we will have more conversations about how believers can interact with civil governments. But what role do you think the civil government ought to have in fostering ethnic harmony? It's a big question, more than we can tackle here at the end. But what thoughts come to your mind? Yeah, that is a big question. Civil government has a role of establishing and maintaining order yes. in the society that that civil government is responsible for. We can't deny that. We've gone through that previously when we talked about civil government, as you said. So we have to recognize that there may be rules, there may be laws that would set up legitimate, organized, orderly ways for immigration to occur, for example, that has nothing to do with ethnicity other than they're not here as my across-the-street neighbor right now, whoever they are. So I, the government has to take that responsibility. The government has to say, we're a nation. It's the government's responsibility to maintain orderliness, and let's let's open our arms to those that want to be part of our 
our uh, society here, but let's do it in a manner that's, my prayer would be that let's do it in a manner that's orderly, God-honoring, and respectful of all involved. Well, and, and the terms you're using there, Paul, so helpfully are an echo of the terms that Paul, uh, the, the apostolic author, uh, uses in 1 Timothy 2, pray for order, pray for honor, pray for peaceableness, yeah. so that the leaders establish that. Why? Because God desires all men to hear the gospel and be saved. There's a gospel aim at the orderliness the civil government achieves. And the gospel is the very hope by which ethnicities can be bound together and the wall of hostility torn down between them. The gospel is the only hope. In fact, I'm suspicious of every other method and means that deliberately sets the gospel aside. I wouldn't endorse those, nor would I encourage us to engage uh, in a highly invested way in any method that intentionally sets the gospel aside. Paul, this is wonderful. Any, any other thoughts that you have at all that you want to share? I think we, as a body of believers, committed to immersing ourselves in the Word of God, seeking to do what God calls us to do, I think we are in a very, very unique and wonderful position to demonstrate to the world around us what God's plan is. We've got the instructions right here from God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we have the opportunity to do that. I, I think about things like um, when the United States government is involved with relocating refugees, for example. Oh, uh, sure. Wouldn't that be a great opportunity for a body of believers to say, I bet we could muster up housing for two families, you know, and and have them land and have them, you know, just just wherever they're from, you know, and and God may bless something like that. God may God may open doors that we can't imagine. Well, someone maybe has just heard that and said, maybe that's me. Maybe that's the way our home will be used. Yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being a part of this. I want to say thank you to our engineer, Tom. Thank you for helping us. I want to pray before we're done today. Father in heaven, I bow before you with my brothers here now and those listening, and I ask you in Jesus' name to make your will be done, supply what you command. Where you command us to ask you, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, then Lord, let your will be done. Here at the landing and in our relationships that extend well beyond our faith family to our communities, our extended families, our neighborhood, and even to the nations. Teach us to love one another Teach us to honor one another as made in the image of God. Teach us to welcome into our homes one another. Teach us to be burdened for the eternal well-being and salvation of those who are yet lost and need the gospel of Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for the clarity of your word and for the power of the gospel to bring unity together where there is enmity. Thank you so much for the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and among us where we have trusted in Christ. Thank you for the drawing and the healing and the peacemaking and the uh, love communicating and the truth-exalting role of the Holy Spirit in our wider culture. Lord, we pray now that you would take this conversation and improve it in the hearts and minds and ears and thoughts of those who've listened and are interacting with us. And I pray that you would bring about ethnic harmony as your son's blood was poured out to purchase. I pray this in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.